So you know, when, when, when uh, I was given this assignment, uh, it's, it's always intimidating to teach the Word of God because the gravity of God's Word is, is something that we cannot ever uh, get past that. We can, never, we can never get to the point where, where these things are minimized uh, in our minds. And sometimes that can happen. But this prayer in particular is, is, is very intimidating for me because this is the Lord. Uh, this was Him praying um, for Himself. And, you know, my good friend Russell, Russell uh, Howard had always taught me that whenever you study the Bible, not just when you're, when you're making an outline or, or trying to prepare for a, for a teaching class, but anytime you study the Bible, there's three things you always want to concern yourself with. First is context. And the second is content. And then the third is concern. How does that concern you? How does that apply to you? So I'm going to use that outline tonight um, for, this, for this particular study. So I want to talk about the context of where we're at. Okay, Jesus is, is, is in the garden he is praying this prayer that is in, in we're looking in Luke's uh, account of it. Um, you know, Jesus, his three-year ministry, which was a very eventful ministry. His ministry was full. John writes about the fact that if everything that was done and said, uh, he didn't think that the world could hold the books that would talk, that, that would, would talk of and speak of what Jesus did. So this three-year ministry was a full, full ministry. It wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, you know, I'm going to go out on the road for a couple of weeks and I'm going to take a sabbatical. No, Jesus was three years. He was living without a home. He was living, uh, he, you know, like he said, uh, foxes have dens, uh, but, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's what he did. He traveled around and he, he, he taught the Word of God. He he. Spoke the gospel to people. He told them to repent. Uh, and all this three-year ministry, we saw ebbs and flows. We saw that, that people would gather around because they saw the miracles, because they were fed. Uh, he attracted a, a great multitude of people. But then when he would get down to it, it almost seems like Jesus wasn't into evangelism because he would give them something very hard to say. Like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not see the kingdom of God. And the people said to themselves, this is a hard saying. And many left him at that point. And you remember what he said. He looked at his disciples. He said, would you leave me too? And he said, they said, where else shall we go? So, so Jesus was not, uh, in, he, was, he was not the guy to write your church growth model. But his three-year ministry was very eventful. And in that three years, he was the whole time showing everyone who would listen, everyone who had the ears to hear, as he would say, that he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the one that the Bible prophesied would come to this earth and, and give himself as a sacrificial lamb for their sins. That's who he was. And he was for three years he was teaching this. So that three-year ministry was coming to a close. But now this final week, his final week on earth, it was also coming to a close. He had just come into Jerusalem. He had, he had had, as we call it, the triumphal entry. He had come into to, to Jerusalem. And the tides were, were, were kind of changing throughout the week. 
uh, you know, he threw overthrew the tables in the in the temples. I mean, he was he was not on anybody's uh, Christmas card list by the end of the week. So this this final week was coming to a close. Um, and he had just spent the last few hours prior to this trying to prepare his disciples for what was coming. Um, do you remember how they responded? Well, that's that, that's when they got to the garden. But but when after all after that whole night of of him him teaching them and praying for them, they said, "Lord, who?" They, they argued among themselves who would be the greatest. So so his you know it was falling on deaf ears. He was coming to the end of his three year ministry. He was in the final week, and and you know the the the, the disciples they had they had uh they had just had the greatest Bible study and sermon and prayer that would ever be. And Jesus told them a lot of things during that. He told them some good news. He said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. That's good news. That's good news if you're a follower of Jesus. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that when, once I'm gone and the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to lead you into all truth. So, so that he, he told them that they had been chosen by Christ. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, that you would bear fruit. And, and he told them, so he told them they were chosen by Christ. He told them that they were going to bear fruit. He told them that they were going to be His witnesses. That's all great news if you're a follower of Christ. But he also told them some bad news. He told them they were going to be hated by the world. He told them that, that they would be cast out of the synagogues. He told them that they would be killed for preaching in the name of Jesus, for being his disciple. And, and that the people that killed him thought they, thought they were doing God, would think they were doing God a service. So he, and, and then he told them he was leaving and that where they, that he was going... Uh, they couldn't come. And Jesus said, or Jesus said, uh, Peter said, Lord, I would never desert you. And then he told them that they would all desert him to a man and that Peter would deny him. So you know how it is. You know how it is when you get good news, bad news. What do you always think about? What do you always dwell on? What do you always remember? You remember the bad stuff. I mean, that's just human nature. Uh, 99 people can, can say something good about you and one person says something bad, what do, you, what do you dwell on? That's exactly what these disciples did. They were so low. They were so sorrowful because all they heard when Jesus talked was the bad. They didn't hear any of the good. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't cling to any of the promises. But they, they, they looked at the bad, and, they, and, and we all do that. Because why? Because we're self-centered. We all have to fight all the time to make others more important than us. To make God more important than us. Honestly, we, a lot of times we make ourselves our own God. It's the, oldest, it's the oldest sin in the book. So he had just spent the, the last few hours trying to do that, and here they, here they come and they say, Lord, who among us is going to be the greatest <laughs> when you come into your kingdom? So Jesus, here he was. He, 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 he had finished, you know, his three-year ministry was coming to an end. The last week on earth was coming to an end. His disciples were, were 
you know, down and out and, and bummed out. And here he was, the eternal creator who had never been subject to time. In his humanness, he was running out of time. And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, you know, Jesus, we forget that Jesus was 100% human, just like he was 100% God. And he was subject to the same emotions, the same feelings uh, that, we, that we have. And I know that he, his faith never faltered. He's God. But in his humanness, I can't help but think that he, he, he could just, he, you know, just like we do. Like I said, he was never subject to time before. And now here he had subjected himself to time and he was seeing the clock ticking. So we're winding down to the time where he was going to be crucified. Now, um, impending what he had, what he was looking forward, okay, was obviously his physical death. He knew what kind of death he was gonna was going to die. That was what the Romans had specialized in. They'd made it an art form, so he knew what was going to happen to him physically. But more than that, what what was so weighing him down? was that he was going to have to bear the wrath of God. The Son of God would have to bear the wrath of God. And he had to do that because in order to, to cover your sins, to, in order for, to be that perfect sacrifice, he had to do that so that your sin and my sin would be covered. But it wasn't easy. He knew, he knew what was coming. So this was a highly emotional time for Jesus. So he was processing his rejection by his people, the Jews. Do you remember when he's, when he, before this, he was standing as he was coming in in the triumphal entry. He, in fact, I'll read it. Uh, should be just, yeah, here we go. Um, over, over in Luke 19, here's what he says. He, as, as he's coming in to the city, it says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. How emotional that was for Jesus, his people. He came to his own, his own received him not. They didn't understand who he was. Um, I just, I, I, you know, Israel was, was very, it was obviously, it was the apple of God's eye. Israel was so special. But he, but he, he was rejected by them. Now there was a few. And there will always be a remnant. There will always be a few. There's Messianic Jews today who follow Christ. But as, as a whole, as a nation, as a people, they rejected him. In fact, when he went before Pilate, they told him, Here, Pilate said, here's your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. That's flat out rejection. Jesus knew that was coming. So he was emotional because he was rejected by his people. He was, he was also emotional about the lack of understanding from his, from his disciples. And then just the reality of what was soon to take place. In John 17, and we're going to get there in, our, in Sunday morning uh, very soon. In John 17, Jesus prays 
what's called the high priestly prayer for his disciples. He had, pray, he had prayed for Jerusalem. He had prayed for his, his disciples and us because that prayer it pertains as much to us because that's what he says. He says that not only these, talking about his disciples, but those who will believe because of their words. So he was praying for us. Now it's time to pray for himself. So that's where we're picking up. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So when we look at this prayer, I mean, this is the Son of God praying. And I know that Carrie last week covered the Lord's Prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But, but honestly, it's kind of a misnomer. It really ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer. This prayer, I think, ought to be called the Lord's Prayer because he was praying it for himself. Um, Jesus was so unselfish that he, when he prayed every other time that I can think of, when he prayed, it was always for somebody else. It was always for his people or it was always for, you know, he was always to teach a lesson. He said that many times when he would pray. I say this not, you know, not, not, not because uh, you need to hear it, Lord, but the, those who are with me need to hear it. So, so Jesus, when you look at his prayer, I think sometimes we can get the idea that this is just above us and that we don't have anything to learn from this. But, oh boy, do we ever. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I think we can take from this. And, and that's my Roman, uh, that ro my Roman two is, is the content, his prayer. First of all, his prayer, his prayer in general had a pattern. I mean, that pattern was that he was always praying. You know, Paul, Paul tells us, admonishes us to, to pray continually. Not just when you have a meal. Not just when you lay yourself down. Now I lay me down to sleep. Not just when you get up in the morning and do your devotionals, but all day long. You should be in a spirit of prayer. And I can tell you when you, when you focus on that, when you do that, you're more like Jesus. And that's what, that's what our goal is. Our goal is to be more like Jesus. And Jesus prayed all the time. And you would think to yourself, he's God. Why does he need to pray? Well, it's a pattern. It's a pattern for us to follow. Um, you, you look at that first verse and it says, as was his custom... 
He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. So, once again, here he is. He's, he's going to, to keep the pattern that he has set for himself. He's going to the Mount of Olives, and he's going there to pray. So, he had a pattern, but he also had a place. Now, the Mount of Olives, obviously, he, he couldn't always pray at the Mount of Olives, but it seems like that when he was in Jerusalem, that's, that's probably what he did. Uh, they, they talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. It was probably a privately owned garden that he had, just like, just like when, he, when he went and said, uh, go to this man who has a colt tied and, and, uh, and tell him that the master has need of it. Tell, him that to, tell the man who has the upper room that the master has need of it. I'm sure he went to the man who owned the Garden of Gethsemane and says, we have need of this. Can you let us use your garden while we're here in Jerusalem so that we can have a place to sleep and a place to pray? So he had a place. And I would ask you, do you have a place that, that, you know, Jesus talks about when you go into your closet to pray? Now, most of us wouldn't take that literally. Uh, I guess we could, but it gets hot in the closet usually. So, but, but do you have a, a place set aside where you pray on a regular basis, where you just get away from things? Um, we got a lot of distractions in this world. We, we have everything in the world, literally, pulling, pulling and, and, and vying for our attention. Uh, I'm as guilty as anybody at, at, uh, of, of going through the news feed and finding out what's going on. You know, you got to be up to date. Got to know what's going on. And, and sometimes you'll, you'll tell yourself, well, you got to know what the enemy's thinking. Sometimes it's just you're just, you're just checking out, you know. Uh, TV, all, all these things will pull at us and, and will take away time. Because honestly, when you think about the time you spend doing those things, that is recreational time. How much better off would we be as a church? And how much better off would we be as Christians if we set aside every day a time for quiet introspection and prayer? I'm not talking about meditating, you know, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I'm talking about getting alone with God. Read his word. Ask him to show you what 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 is relevant for your life now and then pray on those things, because that's what we have to do. We've got to be a praying people. We've got we've got to have a place where we can go. Mine is my office because I don't have any employees. So I, I'm. And now on the other side of that, my place of recreation is my office. I got a big 55 inch screen TV that, you know what, let's see what's on TV. I try to minimize that. Uh, see, I bought that telling myself I'm going to use it as a monitor so I can work on plans. That didn't happen. But, uh, but we have to have a place. And Jesus, his place in Jerusalem was the Mount of Olives. Um, now, I thought this was interesting when you think about it. Jesus, Jesus, well, of course, Jesus knew what had to happen. But if Jesus were like us, what we would have done is when, even though we know Judas is going to betray us, and we're God, so we know exactly what we're going to do, but we're not. So, so what I would have done, I would have said, you know what? We've been going, we've been here all week. We've been going to the Garden, uh, the garden of Gethsemane every night. I know that Judas is uh, going to bring the 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 priest, the chief priest and everything to come and arrest me. So I think I'll go somewhere else tonight. Of course, Jesus didn't do that. Um, 
But, but I would have. Um, so he could have easily settled for another place, but he didn't do it. Why did he not do it? Because he knew what lay ahead. And as bad as it was, as, as, as much as like the disciples focused on the bad and forgot about the good, Jesus was just the opposite. He was focusing on the good and, and he knew what the bad was. But like Hebrews tells us, he, for the joy that was set, set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He did that intentionally. It, nobody took his life. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. Pilate tried to tell him, look, don't you know what I have the authority to do? And Jesus said, you would not have any authority if it were not given to you from above. So Jesus knew what was coming. And he went there anyway. And he went to his place of prayer. And then he had prayer partners. Now, granted, they weren't very good prayer partners. These disciples followed him. And we know from, the, uh, from uh, I believe it's Gospel of John, we know that they, weren't, they didn't hold up their end very well. His, his inner three went with him further into the garden. And then he finally just said, you know what, you guys stay here, watch and pray. I'm going to go by myself. And, and he went because he really needed to get away with the Father. Um, but he had prayer partners. Um, and it had a purpose. This prayer had a specific purpose. Jesus tells us in other parts of the, of the Gospels to be specific when you pray, to be to request specifically what you want. Jesus has had one request. And, and he had one request for the disciples, one, one request that they pray for that they enter not into temptation. And I read, I read John MacArthur on, on this section of Scripture here, and, and he said something that was very interesting that I had never thought about before. He, he talked about the fact that this temptation that they were going to endure, the, the disciples, that was the, the, the temptation uh, that, they would not, that they would not be tempted to embrace rejecting Jesus. We know they did. We didn't reject Him. They... they, they they deserted him and they denied him. They didn't reject him. Judas rejected him. But that was their temptation. That was a temptation he was asking them to pray not to enter into. But he was praying for himself too. Because he just says we know Jesus could be tempted. He was tempted for 40 days in the, in the desert. So we know that Jesus could be tempted. What was his temptation? This is what John MacArthur says. That Jesus was tempted that he would not be tempted to reject embracing sin. See, I don't think we understand the gravity and the abhorrent nature of sin that Jesus had to take. I mean, he had, the, the, 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He had to embrace sin. That's why the Father had to turn away. He had to take the weight of, of, of that sin, our sin debt, on Him. And I just can't even imagine the Holy Son of God, the one who, who was in all points tempted yet without sin, had to take on our sin. Thank you, Lord, for that.
And that would be a first for Satan. That would be a first for Satan to tempt, to tempt the Son of God to reject embracing sin. Can you imagine that? He has always, he has always tempted people to embrace sin. And this one time, he's going to tempt Christ. Now, we don't, we don't actually hear, see in here that, that, that Satan tempted him. But, but I just think it's interesting that, uh, that he would be tempted uh, to, to reject or to reject embracing sin. Um, so so he had a, he, it had a purpose. But then he sought out privacy. Uh, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And again, this is this is like that private place. But 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 sometimes I think we go, you know, like I'll go to my office and, I, and I'll pray, but I still got my phone on. I still got ways for people to get a hold of me. And do I get interrupted? You better believe I do. What I need to do is turn it off, turn it off and get away, unplug, so to speak, so that so that I can. Hear the voice of God. So he sought out privacy. And, and again, this is, a, this is a template that works for us. It works really well. Um, and he had a posture. Said he knelt down and prayed. Now, kneeling, I'm not talking about physical. You can pray standing up. You can pray laying down. You can pray kneeling. But kneeling represents an in, in, a, a, a It represents a spirit of humility and submission when you kneel. Um, Jesus didn't have to kneel, but he did. He and the Father were equal. He and the Father are one. But yet the Father is his Father, and he submits to him. You know, everything and just like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't talk about anything but Jesus. And they all work in concert because why? They're all one God. Now, I can't wrap my head around that and neither can you. If you say you can, you're you're deceived uh, because we won't understand that until we have the mind of Christ, until we're till until that day when this corruption puts on incorruption. We'll not be able to understand it. And but but one day we will it will be like, ah, oh, man, OK, that explains it. I get it. Um, you ever have those aha moments? Uh, I, I have them all the time, especially reading scripture. But I've never been able to figure out the Trinity. But here's what I know. The son always does the father's will. Always. So so he had a posture of, of submission and humility and, and in Jesus' case, deference. He was deferring to the authority of the Father. Now, we never de can defer uh, to, because we're not equal. Now, we might, be, we might defer one to another, but we sure don't defer to God. What it is, when we finally give in and submit to God, we're coming in, that we're coming in line with His will. Um, sometimes it takes us a long time to get there. I know it takes me... Uh, I take a circuitous route a lot of times uh, to, to get to the Lord's will. But he had a posture and he, and he was specific in his petition. He said, Father, remove this cup from me. That was that cup of God's wrath that we talked about. The Old Testament, uh, in, a, in a 
a couple of different places talks about the wrath of God, the cup of, of the wrath of God and drinking the dregs of that wrath. As you know, I mean, it, 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 and I think sometimes because we know it and we think that it's so basic that we don't think about how serious sin is. Oh, we think about how holy God is, but we always somehow make excuses for the fact that we're not holy. Uh, are we to be holy? Yeah. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. How do you do that? I mean, even Paul himself said that, that the things I wanted to, I don't do. And the things I can't stand, the things I hate, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from this body of death? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the, pro the, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're born again, you can be holy. You can be obedient. Not perfectly. None of us do it. But when it's not perfect, and this is not a license to sin, but thank God that Jesus died for those sins. Thank God that those sins are covered. Thank God that we don't have to pay the penalty for that. Now, we might have to pay the consequences. In fact, we probably will. Galatians 6, 7 is true for the believer just as it is the unbeliever. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And when we sow to our flesh, we're going to of the flesh reap corruption. Guaranteed. It just happens. And we won't, and it's not just limited to that. When we, when, we, when we sin, we reap consequences in our family. You know, when our family sees us uh, saying one thing with our mouth and doing one thing, another thing with our life, it can turn that child away from God. Because a child doesn't look at what you, uh, listen to what you say so much as they watch you. I know it's true with my kids. And I hope that I've been, a, you know, thank God that I got saved early enough in my kids' lives that I was able to have an influence on them. I know many people who got saved later in life and now their kids won't even listen to them. They won't give them the time of day. Oh, come on, Dad. I remember when you used to do this, this, and this. I remember how you used to be, how you used to, you know. And those kind of things happen. And that is your reaping what, what from the flesh. You've sinned. And that sin has consequences. David had to, had to face those consequences in his life. I mean, his first baby with Bathsheba died because of his sin. Uh, his, 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 and because of that, the sword never left his house. And, and he lost his son Absalom because of his sin. So we're not immune to that. But here's the thing. David would, could be, could be uh, God would, would fill him with the Holy Spirit in a different way for ministry and for ruling the nation with us, the moment we accept Christ, he comes into our life and we become spirit filled believers and we have the capacity to live a holy and a righteous life. But we also have the ability to say no. But here's the thing. If you've got a pattern of saying no, if when you sin, you don't have uh, just an unbelievable conviction come over you, not, not guilt. 
If you're born again, God, God took away the, the guilt, but the conviction of sin. If you don't have that, Hebrews 12 says, if, you don't, if you're not chastened, you're not a child of God. So that's why that's, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It's a fine line. But here's what I know. When God saves you, you are saved eternally. And you know it because you are transformed. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And if there's not transformation, then there's probably not salvation. Yes. Why do you think he chose his words to read this cup from? He knew the wrath. He knew he was a man and fully God. Yeah. He knew that it took him had to be done. He knew for this to have that relationship with him. Yeah. He had to do it. Why did he use his words? I you know, I I, I wondered that myself and I, I the only thing I can say is in his humanness, he never laid a, laid aside his deity, but he laid aside attributes of deity. Right. Um he still was omniscient, just like when he saw Nathan. He said, uh, Nathan, you, you, when, I, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Omniscience, uh, you know, omnipresence. Uh, that's, that's the only thing that can, that can uh, explain that. It was just, it's confusing because... Yeah, well... He had to do it. it was mm -hmm. a question. Yeah. How did he do it? But he used those words. Was just, it's, to me, it's confusing. It like, well, I, I, think, I think it just goes to, to his humanness. Right. Yeah. You know? So. Shows the two wills. Uh, mm -hmm. Pardon me. Shows the two wills of Christ as well. Yeah, he was he was he was fully fully man. He was fully God. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that. But you know, of course, he follows it up with nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. I, I think it conveys the fact that how how much he didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but but I'm not sure that there's a there's a cut and dry answer. Uh, I don't know if you could call it fear so much as it was revulsion, you know, because because he he, he was he knew his whole three year ministry, his whole life. He knew he was preparing for that day. So I don't think it was fear. I think it was just pure revulsion. You know how as you get closer to something, it becomes more real. Uh, Jesus, again, was 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 just like us. He was a human and, and he was in all points tempted Yes, sir. I was just going to add to that when, when you look at the very text that you're, you're teaching from, John. You know, the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening. Oh, we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, and he sweat blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're getting there, too. Uh, I, and I better hurry up and get there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, but, but yes, yeah, you're right. So he was, he was specific in his petition, but it was predicated on the Father's will. He said, Father, if you are willing, but then he also said, not my will, but yours be done. So, so again, um, he also said to Pilate when he said, you know, uh, do you not know that I could, I could call my father and he could send a legion of angels? Um, I think he in that case he was just saying what he could do. You know, he was he was just. But anyway, um, let me let me move on from that. So he was predicated on the Father's will. Uh, he 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 was. Um, he was absolutely one hundred percent in line with the Father's will. Um, but again, I think he just did not want to have to go through that. Uh, who would? 
But again, Hebrews says for the joy that was set before him, that was his incentive. We were his incentive. Can you believe that? We were his incentive to go through that. I can't even imagine it. For, you know, when you think about for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Think about what the father was going through at this time. I mean, when Jesus came, it cost him a lot. It cost him his life. It cost the father his son. And, and his son that he had, to turn, he had to turn away from. And then we, get, we see, his, okay, so that, uh, we see his provision. He says uh, exactly the, the words or the verse that you just, you just read. Uh, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Okay, so, so uh, I, I thought about that, about what does that mean? How did the angels strengthen him? The angels are lower. Uh, you know, uh, they're obviously a created being. How can an angel strengthen Christ? Well, what does the word angel mean? Messenger. It wasn't anything that the angel gave him to strengthen him. It was what he told him. Now, we're not privy to what he told him, but I imagine it was something like this. This is a message from your father. Jesus, I know what you're getting ready to go through. I understand how the emotions that that's stirring up. But the future depends upon you, the future of mankind and, 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 and the fulfillment of God's word who can never lie said that this would happen. And, and, and obviously, uh, that, that kind, uh, anytime you, you try to uh, anthropomorphize God, you, you fall short. Uh, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't think like us. He doesn't respond like us. His ways are higher than our ways. Uh, but he gave him a message, a message of hope, a message that once this, this was paid, uh, he was going to, to be raised from the dead. In fact, all three uh, members of the Trinity played a part in that resurrection. Why is that? Because all three are one God. So, so his provision uh, was, was it's strengthening. The angels strengthened him immediately. And why did he strengthen him at that point? I think in that point in the prayer, he strengthened him at that point immediately for the fervent direction that his prayer was about to take. Because right after that is when it, when it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. This, this was, this was a, a, well, I actually want to, I want to touch on a couple more things before I get there. So he's strengthening, he's strengthening for the, 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 the direction that his prayer was about to take. He's strengthening for all that he would endure in the next 12 to 14 hours. Jesus would recoil in his humanness from rejection, humility, or humiliation and mockery and physical pain. In his humanness, that's what he had to endure. Rejecting, rejection of the people, the very people he was, uh, was sent to save would be, would be mocking him and spitting at him and cursing him. Uh, he would be stripped by the Roman soldiers and beat and, and a crown of thorns put on his head. Uh, 
he, he, would be, he would be crucified in such a way that the Romans were just experts at, where you died of asphyxiation. That's why when, when the Jews said, you know, they, they didn't want him to be on there uh, during the Sabbath, they went to kill him and, and let break his legs so that he couldn't raise up and, and breathe. And he had given up the ghost willingly himself. So in his humanness, he was, he was going to have to, he recoiled from that. But in his divinity, he recoiled from separation from the Father, bearing the sin of the world who would ever come to Christ. Again, that verse I quoted earlier, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Those were the things that, 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 that and when I say he recoiled, it, it, he, he was revolted that he was going to have to do this. But that was what, that was, that was the prize. We were the prize. But then he has a physical reaction and that's in verse 44. Where, where we just read that while ago. And in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I remember my mom had a painting that hung on the wall. And it was, it was a picture of Jesus in, in the garden praying, and the drops of blood were on his face. And I used to think that this was like a metaphor. But no, this is a real physical condition. Um... And, it's, and it's, I think it's fitting that Luke was the only one that mentions this. Luke was a physician. Um, the, the, the condition is called uh, hematidrosis. Now, it's an extremely rare condition. There's only a handful of, of cases that have ever been documented. But, it's, but what happens is the capillaries, blood vessels that feed the sweat glands, they rupture. And the, the blood literally comes out mixed with sweat, comes out of the pores. And it occurs, and this is, this is, off, this is off straight off a, a, a WebMD. It says it occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. The emotional stress that Jesus was going, under, was going through was so great that his body manifested just how bad that was in a way that only a handful of cases over the centuries have been documented to happen. So, so it was, it was an, it was a really stressful physical thing for him as well. And then I see his, his uh, prescription for their sorrow. He says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Well, their sleep was a reaction to their sorrow. They, they were overcome with fatalism. They were overcome with, with despair. And, and again, it's because they focused on all, those, all, those, all the bad news that Jesus gave them. They, they just focused on that. Uh, they had been told they would all abandon the Lord. Uh, they had been told that, that Peter, their de facto leader, would deny the Lord and that Jesus himself would be arrested and crucified. So they, they, were, they were down in the dumps, to say the least. Here was his prescription. Wake up. Why are you sleeping? Get up. Rise. And pray up. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when I see that, I think, you know, that is the perfect. Because we can, man, we can be just like the disciples. We can, we can see the negative things in our life and forget about all the blessings. 
You know, if nothing good ever happened again in our lives, the fact that we are saved for eternity and bound for heaven rather than an eternity in hell ought to be enough for us to never be depressed. But we are. But I am. And when I say depressed, I don't mean clinically depressed. Um, I, just, I just mean that we focus on the wrong things. And the prescription for that is, is to, to wake up. Wake up from your sleep. Wake up from the fact that it's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. And then get up. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. And pray up. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Now, every one of us, we know, you know, Hebrews calls it besetting sins. Every one of us struggles with something. Every one of us has what they is so, so often called our besetting sin. The sin that we're able to do, we're able to follow Christ in every way except for this one little thing. And usually it's not a little thing. Well, let me tell you, no sin is a little thing. We categorize that as well. Well, you know, my besetting sin is not that bad. I'm just a little prideful. God hates pride. Well, my, my, my besetting sin is not bad. Every now and again, I'll tell a little untruth. God hates lies. When he talks about the seven things that God hates, two of them are lying. So there is no little sin. Sin is transgression of the law. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is what Jesus died for. So there's no little sin. Pray that you enter not into, temp into temptation. We are to be praying people all the time. Here's what I know. They were going through one of the, one of the worst times in their lives. And they slept. Why? Because they relied the last three years on Jesus to do the praying for them. After Jesus was gone, that changed. They became a praying people. They, they, they gathered when, 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 uh, when uh, Peter was put in jail and they were, they were praying together. And then the angels came and, and released them and they showed up at the door and they thought it was a ghost because they just weren't used to their prayers being answered. Uh, not, not, not like that, right? I mean, you're in a Roman prison. You ain't getting out of a Roman prison. I mean, back in today's world, they'd make an action movie about let's break them out of the Roman prison. But uh, it just didn't happen. But because they prayed, that happened. And I think about in, in times of our life, and I, and, and, and I know this from experience. When some of the worst times in your life come along and you're not praying Continually, You're not in a spirit of, of prayer all the time. You're not close to God like you should be. When it hits you, it hits you upside the head. And the last thing you want to do is pray. And I said, again, I say that I say that from experience myself. Why is that? It's not because you don't have access. The God's word tells us we have access to the throne. Direct access. We don't have to go through a mediator anymore except the Jesus. who He's the one mediator between man and God. We have that in Jesus. And it's not because he doesn't listen. Because we're declared righteous through Jesus. So yes, he hears us. 
Why don't we do it? Because we fall victim to the enemy who tells us, you can't pray. You, when's the last time that you seriously prayed other than over a meal or, or before at a prayer meeting at church or, or over a, a, a life group or, or over a prayer list that you were noncommittal going through as quick as you could? When's the last time you really prayed? And the enemy will attack you like that and say, you can't pray. You're not worthy. Well, I got news for you. You're not worthy. We're not any of us worthy. But we are enabled. So let's do it. Let's, let's, let's become praying people. Let's become pray, pray, praying people for our country. Yes. But we're citizens of, a, of, of, a, of another country. We're citizens of heaven. So let's not just pray for our government. Let's pray for the individuals in our country. You know, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, those who we have given up on. Let's decide. We're going we're to start praying again. Because God loves the prayers of His saints. The prayers of His saints are, are, are like a sweet aroma to Him.